Well, we're going to start a new uh, series. We're actually going to be uh, doing a study in First Peter. Um, as you guys, most of the time you guys know, we do topical teachings, but every once in a while we teach on a whole book of the Bible, and that's what we're going to embark on. So what's the good news is on, on this is that you can dust off your Bible. That's a joke. Open up to First Peter and read along week by week. Um, as we go through this book, and and hopefully that God believe that God will give you insights and revelation even further than what we're going to be be looking at. So we're going to be studying First Peter. Um, so let me set set up, set up the book. It's actually a letter. Um, here's the backdrop. The backdrop is in ancient during the ancient Roman Empire. All right. Now, Rome was the world's superpower at the time. It had the strongest economy. It had the most powerful military. But it was also starting the first stages of self-destruction. The culture and the leadership was growing more and more corrupt, increasingly immoral, and the nation was decaying from the inside out. It was a kingdom that was ruled by the spirit of Babylon, and as all kingdoms that are ruled by that demonic spirit, all nations, all governments, the, um, the, it, the, king, the spirit of Babylon brings that nation to self-destruct. We see that through history after history, nation after nation. It, it, it's in, is in a self-destruction. So does any of this sound familiar? This, yeah, a little bit maybe. Despite its power, despite its wealth, it was a country in turmoil. It was um, comprised of multiple uh, ethnicities, cultures, races, languages, backgrounds, and ideologies. And all of these were competing, and the people um, were in conflict, and teams were starting to, to divide. So it wasn't a nation that was coming together in unity, but it was a nation that was in constant division. In the middle of this, there was a new people of all backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, and races. And they were coming together with one ideology that was completely counterculture to the decaying culture of Rome. This group was the church. So the Roman nation was divided and in the process of self-destructing, they were looking for someone to blame. Because it's never your, their fault. Right? It's always got to be somebody else's fault. And they were looking for someone to blame, so they started targeting, targeting this group that was rapidly growing, that were unified, that was contrary to the other groups that made up the decaying Roman culture. Again, that group that they targeted was the church. Again, does any of this sound familiar? This letter was written around 63 AD. So persecution of the church at this time was just starting to ramp up. It did not come into full, full steam until Nero uh, became emperor in 64 AD. And Peter was actually martyred during Nero's reign. 
So Peter tells us the purpose of this letter. He tells us the purpose of this letter in um, chapter 5, verse 12. This is why Peter's writing this letter. He says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting. Exhorting means to encourage. He wrote, wrote this letter to them to exhort them, to encourage them, right? And declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We have grace in times of trouble. So Peter, as this apostolic leader of the church, writes a letter to encourage the believers spread throughout the Roman region, instructing them how to persevere under the increasing persecution and the pressure to conform to the Roman culture rather than conforming to Jesus and His kingdom. See, the problems out there should not be the problems in here. The divisions that are out there should not be the divisions in here. The conversations happening out there should not be the conversations happening in here. Because Jesus is the solution. And we submit to Jesus in here. We don't allow culture to come in here and bring problems. We bring Jesus to the culture because He is the solution. We want to invite people to know Jesus, not bring the decaying culture to replace Jesus. Amen? This whole woke agenda is just a counterfeit to the awakening that happens through the born-again experience. It's just a counterfeit. And there's churches that are going woke. And, and they're coming out of the closet. Satan's closet. Instead of taking Jesus to the hurting, taking Jesus to the broken, taking Jesus to the confused, they, they're bringing culture in to the home of the church. That will never happen here. Because the church is an outpost. It's an embassy of the kingdom of God. And we are to bring hope and help and the healing of Jesus to a dying world. We don't want to allow culture to come in here and bring problems. We bring the solution to culture. Again, does any of this sound familiar? Did any of you, do, do any of you have the internet? Our nation right now is a dumpster fire. It's a mess. But we have the answer. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. Some people say that that's too simple. Well, I'm, thank I'm thankful that God makes the things simple. Right? My, my, my life was a mess, and Jesus was the answer. Thank God it was simple. God uses the simple things to confound the wise. Amen. So let's jump into the first chapter of First Peter. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, um, Asia, and the Thyna. 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Who is Peter? The author of First Peter is guess, guess who? It's Peter. Peter is the author. Let me ask you a question. Is Peter a good example of a Christian or is he a bad example of a Christian? Yes. Yes. Peter would have made a great candidate for a reality TV show, I think. Right? Just following him around. Because you never know what Peter was going to do. And, and on his good days, he's confessing that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, right? And, and, and Jesus calls him the rock and, the, and on which um, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On his bad days, Jesus is, is ripping off Peter's name tag, taking a sharpie, writing a, a new name tag, slapping it on his chest that says Satan. How would you like to be standing there and have Jesus look at you and say, get behind me, Satan? I'd be like, what? You're talking to me? Right? What's interesting is these events happened in the same day. He's a roller coaster, up and down, saying the, the profound things and then putting his foot in his mouth. Does Peter ever boss Jesus around? Does Peter ever tell Jesus, you know, this is how things need to go. This is You're not going to do this. We need to do this. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Has Peter ever taken a sword and removed a body part from somebody? Yeah. Is there a day that Peter denies being a Christian? Peter was married. He was a business owner. He had a fishing business with his brother. His brother Andrew introduces him to Jesus. Right? Jesus invites him. He says, "He says, you're no longer a fisherman. Come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Right? Then he's invited to be one of the elect twelve of Jesus' disciples. And in the midst of the twelve, he's then invited to be one of the three of Jesus' most intimate and personal friends. Then when Jesus is arrested and needs him the most, he's in, he's in the midst of his greatest crisis. He's, he's arrested and he's going to be tried. A young girl comes up to, G, to Peter and says, Are you one of his followers? This man's one of Jesus' followers. And he denies ever knowing Jesus and he starts cursing. Then a few days later, he says, I changed my mind. I'm back. I believe in Jesus again. I mean, think about this. This would be like when Billy Graham was alive or Mother Teresa or, or so, you know, coming out and saying, I don't know. I don't believe in Jesus. Can you imagine? That would be trending on social media, I think. Right? And then a couple days later, oh, I'm back. How many of you can relate to Peter? 
If you can't, you're lying. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to relate to characters in the Bible. I mean, think of Esther. You know, that 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 plays her whole life on the line for the possibility to save a nation. Th- think of Daniel. We were we were in. Um, we've been going through Daniel on Saturdays for for uh, uh, be a man gatherings. You know, the first thing that they tell Daniel is, you got to be castrated. How many of you say, well, I'm not, I'm not serving the Lord. I don't even need to pray about that one. Right? I mean, you got, you got, you got, um, Mary, that an angel shows up and says, you're going to be pregnant. No one's going to believe. Everybody's going to think that, that you're, um, Committed adult, uh, fornication, adultery. You're going to be ostracized from your, your family. Um, your your um, Joseph's probably probably not going to believe the story, and he's not going to he's not going to uh, marry you. And what did, what does Mary do? As all these thoughts are going through her head, she sings a song to the Lord, and she says, "Be it done unto me according to your word." I mean, those type of people are hard to relate to. Well, Peter, he's our guy, right? <laughs> Peter, he's our guy. Peter is a normal Christian. See, Jesus is the only perfect one. And all the rest of us are just Christians that Jesus is continually working on. Peter is a typical Christian. It's like it's two steps forward, one step back. So, here's the good news. If there's hope for Peter... There's hope for you. That's what this tells us. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you. If there's a second, third, and fourth chance for Peter, there's still hope for you. How many of you are thankful that Jesus, that our God, is not a God of second chances? I'm thankful that He's not a God of second chances. Because He's a God of multiple chances. Unlimited chances. There's endless chances with Jesus. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you. If God can use Peter, God can use you. God can use me. Amen? And what what we're about to read is a perfect letter. We're about to read a perfect letter written by an imperfect man. Too many of us are way too concerned about personal perfection before they'll serve the Lord. Before they'll step out in faith. They, they have this list of things that have to be done in their life. This list of things that they have to know. The list of titles that they need before they'll step out and obey what God's telling tell them to do. You may never be perfect. But Peter tells us that Jesus can still use you and do a perfect work through you. Amen? God can do a perfect work through you in the midst of your perfection. So people say, that's a miracle. All you need to do is love Him, step out in faith, and be willing to serve. 
that's the story of Peter. God was able to work through him, so that should give us hope. Amen? First Peter 1 Peter 1.1 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, um, Asia, and Bethania. Dispersion. What does dispersion mean? Dispersion means those that are spread abroad because of persecution. See, the, the, a lot of times it's said that the church grows in persecution. That's true to a point. That's true to a point. But when things start getting really bad, people get out. People get out. They may love their city, they may love their nation, but their first responsibility is to their family. Right? This happened in Iraq. Iraq at one time was the largest group of Christians in the Middle East, Coptic Christians, they were called. But when persecution came, they began to leave. When persecution became too great, they left. And now, Iraq is almost unchurched. Are we seeing any dispersions right now? Are there any cities or even states that people are leaving because they don't like what they are becoming? They feel threatened. They feel persecuted. Where, where faith is under fire, where families are under fire, where freedom is under fire. People who love God are asking questions. They're asking the qu questions like, I don't know how long we continue, can continue to live here. People that are frustrated to give their money to a government that opposes everything that they believe in. A government that is looking to recruit kids and brainwash them to oppose God, a.k.a. Antichrist. Many in our country are having the, the hard decision, is this the place that I can practice our faith as a family? Is this a place that we can raise our children? Is this a place that I can live in freedom? We are seeing a modern day dispersion from one type, type of state to another type of state. Are we not? Peter. Let's look at verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Remember, this, this is a letter from Peter to the churches that he is over, an overseer of. So, many of the times what they, would do, what they did is the letter would be sent, they came together, and probably the pastor read the letter to the body of believers as they assembled together. The letter starts, starts off by telling us who God is and who we are. These are two of the most important questions that you can ever have answered in your life. Once you learn these two things, you don't, uh, you don't really understand anything. Until you understand who God is and who you are, you can't understand anything else. That's why we live in a world where people are so confused. They are so broken. They are so lost. Because they don't know the answer to these two questions. Who is God and who am I? 
Once you understand those questions, once you have the answer to those questions, then you can start figuring out all the other things of life. First thing Peter tells us is that is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Right there. In in his letter, he's showing you the Trinity, the Godhead in that. One God, three persons. This is a distinct teaching only in Christianity. One God, three persons, living in perfect union without division and animosity between one another. This is the model for the church. This is the model for the church in a world that is divided. That is in disunity. The church is in, in love and unity and submission to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then he tells us who we are. Christians do not identify themselves by their race, their income, or their gender. They don't identify themselves by their generation, or their ancestor, ancestors, or a life stage. They do not identify themselves as a political party or a city or a nation, God wants you to understand your identity in relationship to Him. Your identity in Christ. Then Peter uses two words to describe you. Elect. Elect and exiles. Elect and exiles. Peter is describing who the Christians are in these two words. First, elect in verse 1. And two, exiles. What does it mean, that in, what does this mean in relationship to God that you are elect? What does it mean in relationship to God that you are elect? Well, Peter links election and foreknowledge together. In the foreknowledge of God. The term foreknowledge simply means what is known in advance. This is, ability, this, this is an ability limited to God and those whom He chooses to share His knowledge with. Right? Through a word of, uh, a word of wisdom. Right? He can, through the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, God can share that wisdom with you. Right? God doesn't predetermine anything through foreknowledge. Nothing's being predetermined through foreknowledge. It's just His ability to know what is going to happen before it happens. You understand that? So election is based on His foreknowledge. Election is based on His foreknowledge. This means election isn't predestining someone to salvation or damnation. There's only one elect there is only one elect in the Bible, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we come into Christ in that union, in that unity, 
when we are submerged into Christ, when we receive His Spirit, then we become elect in Christ Jesus. And God foreknew that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. Amen? God the Father simply chose Jesus to be elect before the foundation of the world. And His foreknowledge allowed Him to know everyone that would accept His Son. Right? Who would choose Jesus. Therefore, we were chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's amazing. Some, some of us, you know, you remember, you remember high school gym and picking teams. And for some, you, you're never picking. Picked. So, for some people, you weren't picked to go to prom. You weren't picked. But the good news is, is that your Creator, your Heavenly Father, He picked you to be in Christ. Amen? And that is very, very good news. So we are the elect. We are elect. We're special because God has chosen us to be in Christ Jesus. But we're also exiles. This is our dual identity. In God you're elect, but in the world you're an exile. If you don't understand this, you'll, you'll have issues when you feel pressure from a corrupt culture. If you ever feel pressure upon how you live your life from culture it's because you and, and, and you're confounded by it, it's because you don't understand that you're in exile. You're in exile. You're living counter to culture. Because what's exile mean? It means kicked out. It means reject, rejected. Don't fit. Unwelcome. Not home. Doesn't feel right. Completely frustrating. Constantly dis disappointing. Today we call it America. Both the blessing and the burden are both simultaneously true. The glass is half full and half empty. You, you've seen the little um, social media thing where the two guys are riding a train, one's looking out, and all he's seeing is a, is a wall of, of rocks looking at the mountain. The other guy's looking out the other side of the, the, the cart or the train and seeing a beautiful pasture, trees, rainbow, clouds, birds flying, all of that. Listen, blessing and burden are happening simultaneously in this life. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the blessing of God? Or are you focusing on the burdens of life? It's not one or the other. It's both happening simultaneously. And you will experience whatever you focus on. The world does not feel like home because it's broken. It needs to be fixed. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The world is waiting for you. The world is waiting for the manifestation of the children of God and the kingdom of God. It's under the burden of this fallen, sinful culture. And it's waiting. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Right? Sometimes life just gets you, you just groan. I can't believe what's happening. Where's the common sense? Have we all gone mad? Am I, am I the one that's going mad? Because everybody else seems mad. Right? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? So right now we don't see a resurrected body, so we're hoping. But once you get to the resurrected body, there's no need to hope anymore. Right? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Amen? Paul's describing the same thing that, that Peter's describing. There, there, we, there's this, we're exiles. It doesn't feel, the world doesn't feel right. It needs to be fixed. And guess what? Jesus, when He comes back, He will make all things right. Right? But until He does, until He does, the church needs to continue to, to point to the kingdom, point to the right ways of living, through signs, wonders, through the Word of God, through, our, through just socializing with people. We can transform culture. The world is broken. It needs to be fixed. It's evil. It needs to be changed. It's dying. It needs a Savior. Everyone may be disagreeing about a lot of things, but one thing that I think everyone in the world, in, at least in our nation right now, it would agree upon is that I don't like this planet. That's what everybody seems to be saying, is I don't like it this way. I don't like how things are going. It needs, things need to be changed. But, but the problem is, Everyone wants heaven, but nobody wants Jesus. Everybody wants heaven, but no one wants Jesus. I want justice. Oh, so you want Jesus? No. I want generosity. Oh, so you want Jesus? No. I want to be, people to be treated well. Oh, so you must want Jesus. No, I don't want Jesus. Do you want heaven? Yes. Do you want Jesus? No. You can't. You can't have heaven without Jesus. Heaven is a realm with a ruler, and His name is Jesus. You can't have heaven without Jesus. There is no heaven without Jesus. We are elect, and we are exiled. God loves you, the world hates you. God blesses you, the world burdens you. This is the dual reality in which we live. This is the experience of every child of God. So how are we to live? How are we to live? In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. We, were fill we are to be filled with the Spirit. 
We are to be filled with the Spirit, living by the supernatural power source of God. By the fruit of the Spirit, we are to live by, and by the gifts of the Spirit, just as Jesus did. We are to live life of obedience. We are to live a life of obedience to who? Jesus. We are to be covered by His blood. He lived and died for you. He rose for you. Now your answer is Jesus. Your hope is Jesus. Your joy is Jesus. Our priority is Jesus. Our message is Jesus. Our mission is Jesus. Amen? For those that are living by the Spirit and trying to obey God, God, Peter tells us that God gives us peace and grace and peace, that it will be multiplied to you. Multiplied. It's not added. It's multiplied. Multiplication is a lot better than addition. Right? Amen? Grace is God's empowerment to live in a fallen world. We live by the grace of God. We've had lots of teachings on this. I mean, think about it. How many of you guys have went through something that you didn't think that you'd make it through? There's been things in your life where you, you, you did not think you were going to make it through. But God sustained you by His grace. See, for those that seek to be obedient, God gives extra grace. He gives extra grace with the results of grace and peace being multiplied to you. This peace he's talking about is the peace of God. This is a peace with God and the peace of God. There are so many people that their life is in shambles. They're they're insecure. They're they're on shifting ground because they do not have peace with God. They do not understand the turmoil that is within their soul is the simple fact that they don't have peace with God. As Christians, we have peace with God. God does not have anything against us. That's good news. That God is for you, not against you. And we have the peace of God in the midst of a corrupt and chaotic and destructive and decaying culture we can have peace. We can have peace because we serve the Prince of Peace. Amen? What's the one thing that our world lacks? It lacks peace. <laughs> it lacks peace. And the reason why is because they do not know, like I said, the Prince of Peace. Only God gives peace to those who, who, who lives in obedience to Him. I know that we live in a world full of problems. There are problems out there. But I want you to have peace in here. I want you to have peace in your heart. I want you to have peace in your spirit, in your soul. Amen? The world is a dumpster fire. <laughs> but we can have peace in here. Amen? God wants you to have peace. And there's grace in the midst of this world. You, you need to choose. 
Are you going to focus on the blessing of God as the elect? Or are you going to choose to focus on the burden of the world as an exile? It's up to you. But as we choose to live our life in obedience to Jesus Christ, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, God promises, and as we'll see, you'll look peculiar to the world because you'll have grace, the power, to live under this pressure and have peace in the midst of it all. That is such good news. Amen? Amen. So we got through two verses today. I'm going to have to learn how to speed this up. We'll be here all year. But uh, well, I, I encourage you guys, read, read 1 Peter as if Peter was writing it to you in this day and in this hour. Because the Bible is not about what happened. It's about what always happens. It's about what always happens. We have everything we need in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, and in the wisdom of the Word of God. We haven't seen anything that the church seen in Peter's day. And we have Christians that are throwing in the towel saying, why God? It's because they're looking at the being an exile rather than the elect. They're looking at the problems rather than seeing themselves as the solution. The first place we need to start seeing ourselves as a solution is on our spheres of influence. This is something we taught so many times and Christians have to Christians need to understand this. It's not so much about what happens in a church building on Sunday, it's what happens out in the world. You, we all have a sphere of influence. You have a sphere of influence. Start in your family. You know, your your home should not look like the chaotic, decaying culture of the world. Start seeking Jesus in your home, in your workplace, with your friends, with your family, with with your loved ones, with those that you are around. Start asking God to show you how you can be a light in, in a world that is running into the dark. We live in such a wonderful time. Amen. It's an exciting day, and it's only going to get better. And uh, I thank God for Peter as an example of an imperfect Christian that God was able to do a perfect work through. And if, Peter, if, if God can use Peter, He can use us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have not left us without a roadmap. You have not left us without a blueprint of how we are to live in the midst of a decaying, evil culture. Father, we thank You that in the midst of this, we can have grace multiplied to us. 
we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding rest heavily upon us. And we can be an answer, a force of good, a force of life and love and unity in the midst of a perverse generation. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank You for the Word of God that will never steer us wrong. And we receive this today by faith in Jesus, our Lord and King. Jesus, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.